Welcome to Real You, Real Money, the podcast that will inspire you to love all of who you are and love making big money all at the same time. I'm Ray Dodd, your host and resident money coach, and week in, week out, I'm here to remind you that your feelings and experiences of money have nothing to do with who you are and everything to do with who you've been told you have to be. This podcast is all about powerful conversations that will support you in building a business that reflects who you actually are. This is not a one-size-fits-all style podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates the individual you are, and more than that, believes your uniqueness is the key to you making the sort of money you truly want to. Thank you for being here. Let's do this thing. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. As you may have noticed, I took a couple of months break from the podcast. I don't like to do seasons with it because I find that I'm better when I'm just doing a thing. It's harder for me to get back in the flow of something once I've stopped it. But I think this is probably something I'll do every summer is at least take August off. I think I took July and August off this time. But it is so good to be back. It is so hot (laughs) in the UK. In the UK, we've had the most ridiculously terrible summer. And now it's September and it's hot. And I need to record this podcast with the door closed and the window closed. And without a fan on because that will be noisy. And for those of you listening in other places where you have that fancy air conditioning nonsense, we do not have that here. (laughs) We are not built for heat. So you're not going to know though, are you? I mean, the video of this may be released at some point, in which case you will see me with a slight damp glow. Let's pretend it's highlighter. So before I get into the topic, I just want to say a bit about what I've been doing this summer. Not a lot, really. We go on holiday in October. So I did a bit of just pulling back rather than fully taking time off. And that did look like just doing a couple of calls a day sometimes, hanging out with my kids in the afternoons. It looked like really not posting much content, particularly the last few weeks of the month. It was a really interesting, as we speak right now, I actually haven't sent my email list an email for a couple of weeks, but I did selling on an email, made most of my money for the month that way. And it was really nice and chilled and now I'm just in that state that I was just talking about that I do find quite hard which is getting myself back in the swing of posting for some reason returning to the podcast not a problem so excited to be here I love doing this I love writing content as well but that I'm finding a little bit stickier but hopefully by the time this is out I've had a week of like settling in September we're into the second week of September next week when this podcast comes out So hopefully you'll see me returning to Instagram in different ways. I'm also, anyone else playing with the idea of starting some other things? So I'm looking to maybe move one of my paid communities to Discord. I'm very much looking at Substack as well. But typical me, I wouldn't be using it the way I'm seeing everyone else using it. And I'm one of those people who... I don't love to do things the way it's not because I don't want to do it the way everyone else is doing it at all. It's that I would want to have more video and I find video easier. We'd put the podcast on there and things like that. 
I don't even know if it'd be a paid for community at this stage, but I'm not seeing people doing that. So if you're listening to this and you know of someone that uses a lot of video in their Substack, please send it to me because I'm one of those people who I want to do things my way, but I'm also a bit like, but no one else is doing it that way that I can see is that, does that make it okay? <laughs> How's it going to work? So if you do see someone, let me know. Or if you know of someone who runs it that way, if not, I'll just figure it out. I'll figure it out. So today's topic. Over the course of the summer, there have been a number of solo episodes that I've been like, I'm talking about that when I get back. And this is one of those. This is one of those. Today, we're going to talk about ethics. And we're going to talk about the way I've shifted around it, the problems I see with the current way of approaching it, maybe. I think ethics and money making are very, very tied up. Largely because there's the the old stories, right? Like we see a lot of unethical money shit happening. And so if we're going to make money, we want to be damn sure we're making it ethically and we're not becoming one of the bad guys, bad people. However, I think that's keeping a lot of people really stuck. I think it is keeping people really, really, really stuck. And so I wanted to kind of dive into this, talk a bit about my journey through all of it, because I've been in it. If you're in this space, trust me, over the last three years, especially, I've been in it with you. I hear you. There are parts of it that I, there was a lot of it actually now that I feel very, very robust about, feel very sure of my own thoughts on it. And so I wanted to share a bit of that with you, but I also wanted to share how you can get to that place for you. Because as we're going to discuss, this is not me telling you what the new ethics are. This is not me telling you, oh, you don't need to worry about this thing because this thing is the thing now. Like, that's not it. That is not it. This is about reclaiming trust in ourselves and how we do things. The way of the way that I'm seeing ethics kind of be sold, let's be honest, be communicated in the online business space is a concern for me. One of the things in my courses, particularly in Plenty that we look at, is we look at the ways in which our conditioning shows up for us. And one of the ones that I talk about the most outside of the course, and if you've listened to any of the podcasts, I'm sure you've heard me mention it, is kindness at all costs. Kindness at all costs conditioning is when we will put seeming to be kind to other people and to humanity as a whole above our own needs, desires, and therefore ability to make money. Now, I hope that you can straight away see how when we start to talk about ethics, like ethical, and when I say ethics, I'm meaning ethical marketing. And I would be like, quite like bunny earsing that if you could see me, ethical marketing, I would be talking about ethical pricing, ethical this, ethical that. The issue with that is, of course, that when you have been conditioned to put everybody's needs above your own, if somebody tells you that by doing a certain thing, you are going to cause harm, you are going to halt. You are going to screech to a stop and be like, wait, what? Wait, what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to cause harm. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You might not have that strong a reaction, but you might. I often talk about being victimized by somebody's Instagram carousel. Have you ever had that experience where you're like casually scrolling and then you're like, whoa, all right, ouch, why have you said that? 
I didn't know I was doing that wrong. And this is not me saying we don't need to pay attention to things. This is not me saying that there aren't things for us to learn, that there aren't things that we will do happily at one stage and then be like, you know what, I'm not sure I'm really down with doing that now. I think it's so important that we are open-minded, curious, willing to learn, and we're going to get to this later, willing to apologize as well. I think it's really important, so important that we listen to people's experiences that exist outside of us. And when, when I say listen, I mean listen to them. So where we might go, I don't think that's a problem. Ask ourselves, do I have the right to disregard that as a problem? Am I able to do that? This is not me saying there aren't questions to be questioned, questions to be answered and thoughts to be had. There aren't things to be investigated. There aren't reflections to be made. There are all of those things. Absolutely. But what I actually see a lot of people doing is replacing one set of rules, the societal conditioning stuff that I talk about, the patriarchal stuff, the like business has to be a certain way kind of rules, replacing it. So, for example, something like scarcity. You hear a lot, and when I say scarcity, I mean scarcity in marketing. So like this offer's going away, you only have this much time, the price is going up. Some people will say you have to have scarcity in order to sell an offer. Now, there is a point to which I absolutely agree with that. What I don't think you need to do is manufacture scarcity. But some of the rules can be, we have to have scarcity. Those are the old rules. And then new rules, thinking about this in a different way, being people focused, putting people before profits, all that good stuff, it can become, well, we don't need scarcity. Scarcity is bad. All scarcity is bad. And we end up replacing one set of rules for another set of rules. And we're not asking ourselves, what do I think? What's going on in the context of what I'm doing? It's really interesting to me the way that we replace one thing for the other. Before I do get into more of this, I want to talk a bit about my story with all of this, because I said right at the beginning, I'm with you. I am with you in how a lot of this feels in your experiences. I was really thrown in 2020. Some of you will know, I'm not going to reference the exact thing, but some of you will know what I'm talking about when I talk about a really big, I don't even know what to call it, something that happened in the UK coaching industry. I think it was mid-2020, I think. And it really led to some pretty extreme hounding of coaches that were just existing, just doing their thing. It felt very like, let's find the next person who's screwing people over. And, and I know that for some of those people that were called out, there was not stuff going on that was a reason for that to be happening, for them to be being sort of broadcast on social media as this problematic person because of things that a they weren't doing and b a lot of it was just like language they used in their marketing or you know blah 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 anyway we're going to get into that in a minute but I think 
So I think in 2020, that really like knocked me. And I think it. I've spoken to lots and lots of clients. I spoke to a lot of people at the time. And it's still occasionally for a long time throughout 2021, throughout 2022, it kept coming up. It hasn't come up as much this year, which shows that we're moving past it. But just a real fear, a real fear from people that they were going to get it wrong and they were going to get caught out. And I think there are two main parts to this. For lots, there's the nuts and bolts of it. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. And when I say the nuts and bolts, I mean like the practical stuff we do, things like payment plans, countdown timers, which some of you may or may not use, may or may not have opinions of, the amount of sales emails we send, the style of sales calls that those of us in the service industry do, the way we price our work, the way we word our copy and our marketing. I could go on and on and on. The nuts and bolts of it, the things that we bring into our our, largely our selling and our marketing but also if you're a coach or a mentor um, or a service provider the way we do that the way we coach way we say things there's so much noise about what's right and what's not right what is correct and what's been brought into what's not and what's what's right and what's not right is what's ethical and what's not ethical as if those are binary black and white terms which they are not at all ethics is subjective we do not get to say this is ethical because you put it in a different context and it won't be and and we do not get to say what isn't ethical for the very same reason and so when we're talking about i'm an ethical marketer or i I'm an ethical seller, or I could say I'm an ethical money coach. What do I mean? Ethical to who? And when? And why? Like I, it's a very nebulous term that changes. We've seen it. And I think this is partly why a lot of people have grabbed onto the binary, uh, this like tried to create a binary with it, I would say more, is because never before has our idea of what is right and wrong changed so quickly. And I feel like such an old person when I say this, because it's really hard. I've got some lovely friends who've got daughters who are 15, 16, and like 13, I think now. And we talk a lot about feminist stuff when I, when me and my husband and our kids go over there. There's, they're the daughters of a school friend of my husband's wonderful girls sometimes one of them listens so if you're listening you're amazing and sometimes we talk about things like the me too movement and it's so hard to describe to them the experience of before and after me too and some of you that are I'm 40 some of you that are you know I guess in your 30s and 40s and older maybe some of you in your late 20s will remember that You'll remember going into clubs and people touching you in places you hadn't given them permission to and not really like knowing it wasn't right, telling them to fuck off, but knowing that you had no power. You can you could go and tell a bouncer and unless the person was pushing it beyond a certain point, there wasn't really, what was the point? Nothing was going to happen. It's really hard to explain, I think, with modern, like, like nowadays, there's a better term than that, but like, uh, like eyes of 2023, 
why, and I'll, I'll take responsibility for this as myself, why I didn't do more in those moments. Why didn't I say things? Why didn't I stick up for people? Why was that something that, that we talked about behind closed doors, but there were no actual repercussions? Similarly for a lot of stuff around racism. Now, racism, it it's a tricky one. I think we found many people, this stuff was out there beforehand, absolutely, but many people found out about the, the depth of white supremacy, largely in 2020, many white people, obviously. <laughs> and again, we can see circumstances when we shouldn't have said something. I'm speaking again as a white person, why I shouldn't have said something. And circumstances where I should have stuck up for people and should have said something. Equally, I can see circumstances where I did say things, but the nuance of it has increased. Our understanding of the nuance of it has increased. The nuance of it actually hasn't changed, but our awareness of it has. And so that's just two examples. And, and I could give you things like more like our understanding. I think about this a lot, our understanding of trans people and their experience like god gay people and their experience like it's so different than when I was young (laughs) but even when I was in my 20s and it's happened so fast because of the internet because the internet does that glorious thing I know it gets a lot of, of flack but it does a glorious thing of giving a voice to people that previously didn't have a voice and I love it for that but it means things have changed quickly. And so it makes sense to me why we have tried to grab onto some hard and fast rules. Oh my God, I've been so wrong. How can I make sure that I don't get it that wrong again? That is a very understandable human response to that situation. It makes so much sense that we would seek out for ways to keep ourselves and our people safe nothing wrong with that that makes perfect sense however I don't think it's as simple as that wouldn't it be lovely if it was and I think that's actually one of the things that maybe we forget that we've uncovered in the last I always forget when me too was but that feels like me too to me and maybe I'm forgetting something felt like the first big reckoning like that and then there's been others since lots of things haven't had their moment yet in that to that way in that way and lots of things need more many 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 more moments but it isn't as clear like one of the things that we have can take away from that is it's not cut and dry it doesn't stand still it's not something we can get right or wrong but i understand because i'm fascinated by humans always have been why as human beings we're trying so hard to grab onto the black and white of it like I was saying before the the nuts and bolts of things sometimes they do sway me particularly earlier in my business they would sway me I'd see a carousel or someone calling out a way of doing things and think oh my god oh no I'm doing it wrong and I'd change things but I now have a pretty robust way of dealing with that, which I'll share with you all at the end of the episode. I know how to check in with myself on that. And I know how to find my way to what I believe and do that, do things my way. And like I said, I'll carry on with that in a little bit. But what I want to talk about that before we get there is something wider that I've seen. And that is 
when a business owner, a coach, someone who runs a shop, all the different things, when they make a mistake, whether it's in the way that they sell or whether it's something that's seen as unethical or they do something that we disagree with and we believe to be unethical, they become and are spoken about as a bad, manipulative or shady person. Or as it's often termed, and I see this so many times, a con artist or a snake oil seller. And that, and I feel like that's loudest in the coaching industry, but maybe that's because that's where I am. But I feel like there's, I don't think it is. I think it's spoken about so frequently. Like, you know, there's so many shady coaches. They're all terrible people. They're all doing this, they're all doing that. I've shared so many times about the fact that I didn't want to become a money coach because I felt like I would be becoming, you know, I would be labeled. I'd be like thrown in with the shady people. And I'm sure I am by many people. In fact, I know I am. (laughs) I've seen it happen many times where people have said things to me. But I want to make a call. I want to make a, I don't know, shout out, maybe an invitation for us to add kindness and grace into this discussion and forgiveness. Because I come to you as someone who has royally fucked up many times. Who has absolutely done things. You know, there's many things that I would look at a coach and go, gosh, I would never do that. And no, I wouldn't. And there's also things that I've done and gone, fuck, I can't believe I did that. I didn't mean for that to be the impact of it. I didn't mean for that to play out that way, but it has. And I know that when I get my judgy pants on, Not only am I not extending the kindness and understanding I would want to receive from others, I'm also taking away space for me to land in. I talk about this a lot. We often give ourselves a very narrow patch of perfection to land in. So when we say, when we are constantly like, you know, and a lot of people do this, I've certainly done it in the past, we position ourselves as who we are not like. I'm not one of those coaches. I'm not one of those scammy coaches. I'm not one of those people taking people's money and not caring about people's experience or manipulating people into buying or doing this or doing that or doing that. And it just doesn't leave us very much space for what we are going to do. It certainly doesn't leave us space for failing, for getting it wrong, for trying new things, for missing things, for having, you know, things that we just didn't realize weren't okay. And as soon as we tumble into one of those, stumble into one of those spots, if we are labeling everyone who does something that's outside of what we perceive to be okay, as soon as we stumble into one of those spots, we become a scammy coach. We become a manipulative marketer. And... This internet stuff is still pretty new. This way of doing things is still pretty new. We're working this stuff out. And we are bringing our perfectionist conditioning into it in such a way that it gives us nowhere to go. And what I'm seeing is 
that it's impacting people's ability to make money. Look, the more emails you send, I'm just going to say it, the more emails you send, the more money you make. I'm not talking about sending 20 emails a day. I'm not even talking about sending 10 emails a day. But the amount of pushback <laughs> I get on that topic is enormous. I'm not, you all, most of you will probably be on my um, email list, if not, get on it. But you know, I don't email all day, every day, every single week. But I do go through phases, long phases of emailing every single day. The idea that it is unethical to sell your stuff because you're pressuring people by showing up. It, so let's just like, break this down. The idea that it's pressuring people to email them by emailing every day when they have signed up to your emails. And these, you know, in the UK, we have GDPR. So they've signed up. Please, please, people still do this to me in the UK. Please don't sign people up to your email if you don't have permission. Please don't do that. Like, let people, give people the choice. So look, like, look, these are the ethical choices we make beforehand. I know I'm using ethical and it's subjective, but these are the thoughts we, these are the choices we make where we consider people and we trust them. That's a big ethical thing for me, trusting people. So they have chosen to sign up to your email list. Every single email you send has an unsubscribe button. Not just that, they get to choose if they open it. They get to choose if they delete it. If it's too many emails, they get to delete that email. They get to unsubscribe from your list. It never happens. The idea that you are pressuring them by showing up every day, no, you're not. They have multiple choices. At least there are three places in which they can make a choice. They cannot sign up. And I know for some people, their inbox is a place of stress and all of those things. I get that. You get to unsubscribe then. And you get to follow people on other places and find out about their stuff there. Or, and I had this conversation, shout out to this wonderful human who I had a call with, who said, oh, but I do find it stressful when people email me a lot. And then she went, oh, but I don't when you do. And I was like, right. And we'd had this discussion where she was like, I knew I was going to buy something from you really soon. And she's been on my list for years, years and years. But she was planning to buy something. So she didn't unsubscribe and she wasn't bothered by me. You notice the people you're bothered by. That's my argument. I will die on this hill. I will die on it. <laughs> I might actually die on it. So this idea that we are pressuring people, we are forcing them to buy by emailing every day. We're somehow pushing them into making a choice they don't want to make by emailing them every day. I just can't get on board with because actually you're giving them ample opportunity to be like, oh my God, fuck off. I don't want your thing. And for the people that do, we're giving them time to think about it. We're showing it them the options. We're giving them answers to questions. We're giving them different angles. We're giving them time and space to make the decision without, in a noisy online world, letting them forget about it. Because they might. We're doing them a service. That was a completely unplanned rant. <laughs> But when we get judgy about it, when we start to say like all people who email every day are manipulative, they're forcing people to buy their stuff. Nobody 
in that sense, can force people. I do know there are tricky things that happen on sales calls sometimes, and it is our responsibility as consumers to get educated on what that looks like. That doesn't mean that everybody who asks you a certain question on sales call is trying to manipulate you. Maybe they learned that technique somewhere and they feel super uncomfortable doing it and they're like, oh God, I'm never going to do it again. I know I've done that. Maybe they are yet to realize the impact it has. It doesn't mean they're a manipulative, shady person. That's such a strong leap from one to the other. I worry about the way in which people are labeled for such a long time when they're just trying to figure this shit out. And what I worry about, I was going to say more, but actually it's a similar level is the impact it has on you as a business owner when you're labeling people this way because it doesn't give you the space to try things out. Honestly, if we followed every single ethical whatnot, every single bit of marketing that tells us what is and isn't ethical, we barely leave our beds. There's nothing we can do. (laughs) You're always going to be in danger and I don't like I I don't think you are actually in danger with this, but you're it can feel it you're always going to be in danger of getting something wrong. There is a conditioned belief many of us hold ever so subconsciously that if we can get it right, money will reward us. If we can just get it right, if I can do it correctly, then I'll get like the clean money. I don't want to get the dirty money that happens from the the unethicals. I want to get the clean, good money. That's not how money works. Money is not judging you for what you do. Money doesn't care. That can be really hard sometimes. I hear you. I wish sometimes wish money cared more for, with certain very wealthy people. But it doesn't work that way. And actually what's happening for a lot of people is they're not trying the things. And by the way, these are not going to be shady things. There's just so many rules to obey that we're finding ourselves stuck. Other of us, So some of us, it's like, I've just got to get it right. And then for other, others of us believe that unless we obey all of the rules, we will be unsafe. And so we don't get as far as making the money we want to make because our subconscious commitment to keeping ourselves and others safe, again, makes, makes sense. And keeping, keeping ourselves and others safe from harm and criticism, particularly. Our commitment to that is higher than our commitment to tend to our needs. And yes, money is a need. When we have these subconscious commitments, we get ourselves all tangled up and we find ourselves really slowing down. Rules anchor us. And we have been conditioned, particularly, and I know the vast majority of you are people who identify as women, who are socially conditioned as women. We have been taught to obey rules from so young. They're not necessarily explicit rules. They're quite quiet. But we know when we get them wrong. You know, not being a pretty girl is getting a rule wrong often. God, that's such bullshit, isn't it? makes me so angry so reductive anyway and I don't think it's any surprise that a lot of this stuff surged during so much unrest over the last few years 
I don't think it's a surprise that the kind of ethical stuff like got kicked up like a lot of noise when we all felt so discombobulated and things felt so risky because they anchor us. And what's better than rules that profess to keep us a good person whilst also making money? Except like I've said, they don't. They neither keep us good, safe or right. And when we put our trust in being a good person, in obeying somebody else's rules, we are also not going to be making money because we're not free to do what feels good to us. Now, I know some of you will be hearing this being like, what if what feels good to me is unethical? I think that's unlikely. And we'll get to that in a minute, in that there is there is space to figure that out. Let me give you a really like kind of silly example of what I'm talking about. So I read a while ago a thing. Again, this was a victimizing carousel situation. And somebody was saying, like, it's terrible when money coaches particularly sell via their lifestyle in their stories and, and in their content. And I kind of agree with that to a point, like having done my own reflections on it, I kind of agree to a point in that I don't want to just show people designer bags. I only have two anyway, three, <laughs> and then not massively expensive ones. So I... Anyway, I'm going to get to that point in a minute because it's kind of hilarious how much that impacted me because I was like, oh, God, OK, I shouldn't show my lifestyle to people. And I was writing a post about this the other day and I was like, what on earth did I think about the lifestyle of a mum of two children who barely leaves the house, who overdresses to barely leave the house? What kind of lifestyle did I think I would be sent like selling? But I was so worried about getting that wrong that I stopped sharing myself so much on stories because I didn't want it. I, I was like, I wanted to be like subconsciously, I didn't think this consciously, but when I look back on it, I wanted to be above reproach. I wanted to make sure that that hadn't happened, that I wasn't that kind of person. And actually I really like, that's something that I'm going to be bringing more in again is like, I love talking about what I'm wearing and what I'm doing and like, talking more nonsense in my marketing and I don't have a problem with that now I don't have a problem with it at all I don't think it's unethical but it tangled me up and this is an example of where we're so we're using so much headspace trying to figure out what we should be doing to make money but also what we shouldn't be doing in case it's the wrong thing so if we're not doing that what do we do instead and we just find ourselves stuck in a loop and it absolutely plays into our perfectionist conditioning our people pleaser good girl kindness at all costs permission seeking conditioning and so actually we're playing out these echoes of patriarchal stories and rules just with a different hat on we're still playing small because we're, we we have internalized that it's not safe for us to get things wrong we will be rejected we will be gone and that is scary but it it's also not the reality of what most people have got going on 
So I want to give you an example of some of this. Countdown timers. This is one of the things that drives me a bit mad. So if you're in the coaching or like online courses world, particularly, you'll know about countdown timers. And there's this whole thing. I often see coaches, mentors I really love saying, don't use countdown timers. As somebody self with a self-diagnosed, admittedly, neurodiverse brain, I found find countdown timers so bloody helpful because my brain really struggles to conceptualize time. So you can tell me the doors close at nine o'clock on Tuesday, but I want to know how long is that in hours? Like, I don't really understand what I need to do at what time, particularly when a lot of us are selling internationally. It can really help to know like well, nine o'clock EST. What, what does that mean? How many hours have I got? I find it really, really helpful. So. And I know that a lot of people have come out and said this, but this is a really good example of where people with one kind of brain say one thing. Like the idea, by, by the way, as well, the issue with them is that people feel like they're pressuring people, like it's counting down. This is, a, this is you only have this much time. And I do think we can use them in some in in good ways. We can just put them like I, what I tend to do is I just put when the doors close and the countdown timer underneath with absolutely no like pressury text above it I've seen them used in my my least favorite thing for them to be used is when you stumble across a webinar on Facebook this doesn't happen as much now actually or maybe it's just that I don't ever opt into them anymore but you used to stumble across a an ad on Facebook and it would be for a webinar that just happened to be starting 10 minutes after you clicked on it surprise surprise and you'd get this countdown timer and you there was just this false scarcity and when it's used to drum up false scarcity, I have issues with it. But scarcity exists. Doors to programs open and close for good reasons. Partly for somebody, the amount somebody wants to talk about it, keep the cart open for. Energetically, having a cart open all the time for some people feels like a lot. Because people are doing a cohort, which is something that research shows really helps with group programs. So there is an only a certain amount of time. You know, something's happening on a certain date. Like those are all examples of scarcity that re prices do go up. <laughs> are we lying? That's a problem. You know, that's, you know, morals 101. You learn that when you're really small. Lying, not good. But we have got so simplistic sometimes in our approach to this. Oh, she uses a countdown timer. Oh, didn't know she was that kind of coach. Wait a moment. It's so easy when you've been taught that your very natural desires and wants like food, sex, general emotions, taking up space are incorrect to continually look for rules from others to tell us how to do things because we do not trust our inner parts. We don't trust our inner knowing. We don't trust our own moral compass. And I, I like I shared that story about me too and that trickiness to explain things. So I do understand that sense of like, wow, I got it really wrong. Can I trust myself to know what is and isn't okay? And the answer is yes and no, because things keep changing. Your job is not to always be right. And God, I've had to learn this so much. So like so hard as well. 
your job is not to be right. Your job is to listen and adapt. And more than that, perhaps, it's also to balance it up against what do I know? What do I believe? Because what I'm seeing is a lot of people spending more time trying to get the rules right than actually doing what they were created to do. Now we have to obey all of the marketing rules, all of the business rules, and the ethical rules. And when those two clash, we have to figure out how we do do them or we just opt out. And alongside all of that is the track of societal and cultural conditioning playing in our minds, in our subconscious minds. And there's a load of rules in that as well. There is no surprise that we don't have much time to be inventive, creative, and courageous and excited when we're trying to navigate all these shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's also a classic left-wing liberal thing to do, by the way. We get ourselves bundled up in, in all, like being the most right, being the most correct, being the most ethical, to the point that there's just loads of infighting and no progress happens. And I see it with money-making absolutely enormously. And now all that can leave us feeling like, well, fuck, what am I supposed to do with all of that? What am I supposed to do? There's so much to navigate. How am I supposed to manage that? And honestly, the answer is one of those like simple but not easy things. The answer is to ask yourself, what do I think about this? And to trust yourself on that. The first time I remember doing that very thing is when people started to talk about charm pricing. Now, first of all, I thought, oh, God, I love ending things in sevens. Am I doing a wrong thing? Am I manipulating? And this is the thing. (sighs) Am I manipulating people into buying from me because I end my prices in a seven? The lack of trust in other humans when we really go all in on that is really concerning to me. I'm an adult. I know that 97 is three less than 100. If something is like priced at 997, I know that it's three pounds less than 1,000. I know that. That's basic maths. To suggest that all of my other marketing could be thoughtful and not pushing on people's pain points and giving people time and blah, 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 blah. But wait, wait, wait. I stumbled on the last hurdle. I used a seven manipulative. One of my biggest bugbears with that, and I know that I've gone into a rant on this and I'm going to get back to my point, but one of my biggest bugbears with that as well is that as a money coach, I know that so many of my clients find it so much easier to price at 997 than 1000 even though it makes them the same sort of money because it sneaks it past their brain that they are charging £1,000 or £100 or whatever it is. It doesn't activate them in the same way. Perhaps it doesn't activate somebody in the same way spending it. But they do know they're not going, oh, God, it's a thousand, but it's only 997. I thought I was spending a hundred. That's not happening. And so when I saw that coming out, my first thought, like I said, was, God, oh, no, I've been doing it wrong. Like I said, had to learn this a very hard way. Not, I've not always been very good with getting stuff wrong. And then I was like, wait, 
wait. And obviously my brain goes, how is this playing into conditioning? What about trusting people? What about people's money stuff? Because I've worked with people around this so many times and I know, and you know what it is? I know the heart of people when they're charging it that much. And I asked myself, what was my heart when I did that? Now, yes, sometimes we need to look at intention over impact or impact over intention. But in this situation, when I look at the impact, seriously, the worst case scenario is there isn't like, I think if someone doesn't know that 97 is three away from 100, we have bigger issues going on. What if that's the thing that gets them over the line because they they do want to invest, but they have money stuff? What if? Why is that bad? Is that bad if the offering is, is suited to them and going to work for them? I don't think so. I think it's great. So the answer is, ask yourself, what do I think about this? And to trust yourself on that. Let yourself, rather than reacting and going into panic and changing everything up and questioning your whole life story, take a moment, take a breath and be like, whoa, I am activated by this. I would normally put my hand on my chest and take a deep breath because that's what all of my like anxiety worried feelings are always in my chest and I'd be like I'm activated by this what do I know to be true here what do I think about this what are my thoughts and sometimes I'm like you know what I don't know and I need to get curious about it and I'm not saying you know we all have our own narrow perspectives on some things and so if you're asking yourself for example if this is coming from somebody from a different socioeconomic background or a different experience of race in the space you're in or not even in the space you're in. You know, there are things that we need to listen to, but that's not the sort of thing I'm talking about with supposed charm pricing. So check in with yourself, what do I think? And then step two, trust that you are robust enough to cope when people disagree with you. You don't need to go into that person's comments and tell them that you disagree with them. Let them be. Equally, know that by sticking to it, by sticking to the prices that you're putting out there, people might disagree with you. They may judge you as something. And this is some deep self-concept work. If you've worked with a coach, this is the sort of thing where we learn that we are not how others perceive us. We are ourselves. Their perception of us, the example I always use is, If someone says to me, Ray, I hate your green hair. I'm like, I don't have green hair. Like, I know who I am. You might see me as having green hair, but I don't have green hair. And they're like, you do have green hair. You absolutely do have green hair. And I'm like, I don't. And at some point, I'd probably be like, okay. (laughs) You can believe I've got green hair. Fine. I know I don't. I know I don't. So. Trust that you're robust enough to cope when people disagree with you. That doesn't actually make you wrong. A lot of these things, there is no wrong or right. There are some spaces where there's a wrong or right, but a lot of these places, there is no wrong or right. There's just opinions. And it's very important to say all of this exists alongside understanding that you will make missteps. You will get things wrong. You will 
hurt people at certain points. And I know as I say that, some of you are going to go, ooh, because that's what I would have done. But learn the art of apologizing, trust it and use it. I recently had to do some hard apologizing, which was not fun. But the main comment from the person who I was apologizing to was, thank you for taking responsibility with your apology. And I think that's one of the things to say, like, I wholly messed up and I'm not going to put any of this on you. Like when we have that moment of like, you know what? I wholly messed up here. I didn't realize none of that's on you. It's all on me. I'm sorry. And I'm going to really reflect and I'm going to do better. And sometimes you won't even need to do that. Sometimes it'll be a, huh, you know what? I can see how that's true. And I'm going to stop doing that now. And you won't need to make an apology. You just change things up. So I hope this has got you thinking. I hope my honest, like almost prayer for this podcast episode is that you feel free to know what you know, to get curious about what you don't, and to really stand in confidence of yourself in both your ability to think and figure shit out and your ability to take responsibility for when you get it wrong. And when you can work on those two things, doing things your way, which might not look like the ethical check sheets, it might not look, and it certainly won't look, I'm sure, like that this is how you do business 101 stuff either it'll look like you and that's where the most powerful easeful beautiful money is made all right thank you for being here it's been a joy to be back i will see you next week